Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 96 of the Money Love Podcast. Y'all, I have such a fun episode for us today. And I know that the title of this probably caught your attention, as it would mine, of course. But I have a guest for you guys today. It's not just going to be you and me, like most weeks. It's going to be you, me, and my fabulous guest, Sarah Fisk, who is a coach for women who want to stop people-pleasing. First of all, how brilliant is that? Because I know for me, I am such a huge people-pleaser. It's something that for a long time has been a really big part of my identity. It's something that I've really struggled with, which you're going to hear me talk about in the episode today. But what Sarah does is she helps women and she works with them stop people-pleasing. Now, I know initially it might be like, okay, well, why are we talking about this on a podcast about money? But you guys, listen, people-pleasing is one of the most expensive things that we do that costs us the most money that is truly just money down the toilet, wasted. I know that in the past, I have spent a lot of money people-pleasing. I know that so many of the women in my community within overcoming overspending and with my clients who I coach one-on-one, I know they spend a ton of money people-pleasing. And people-pleasing with our money is something that we don't give a lot of thought to. Right? When we think about people pleasing, we think like, oh, I people please with my boss. I people please with my mother in law. And we tend to think that when we people please, it's with the words that we say or the actions that we take. It's saying yes to the things that we want to be saying no to, saying no to the things that we want to be saying yes to, which is absolutely true. But oftentimes, money can be a factor in that. When we say yes to the things that we want to be saying no to, but ultimately requires us to spend money, or when we buy things for people in an attempt to make them feel a certain way towards us or think about us in a certain way, how many of us do that? That's all a form of people pleasing. So I actually first learned about Sarah through the LCS, which stands for the Life Coach School Community. That is the coaching school that I am certified through with my life coaching certification. Sarah is also a graduate of the Life Coach School, which is how I initially learned about her. We were also in a mastermind together last year, which is really when I started to learn more about her niche. I told her this when we talked, but I'm like, listen, your niche is just absolutely brilliant because there's so many women who need help with this. But Sarah, in my opinion, is one of the best coaches in the Life Coach School community. I have watched her and seen her coach within the Life Coach School community many, many times. And in my opinion, she truly is one of the best coaches in the LCS community, which I already think that LCS coaches are like the best coaches in the industry to begin with. And so then to be one of the best LCS coaches, (laughs) so to be like the best in the community that's already the best really says a lot about Sarah. 
and just how amazing of a coach that she is. So you're going to hear all about Sarah. You're going to hear her background, how she got into this work. But I do want to tell you before we hop on that Sarah also has a podcast of her own. If you are just looking for another podcast to add into your lineup, it's called the X Good Girl Podcast. And she also has a coaching program that's called the Stop People Pleasing Program, where she will actually help you in an area of your life stop people pleasing. Her website is sarahfisk.coach and Sarah has no H. It's S-A-R-A-F-I-S-K dot coach, where you can basically learn about her and find out all of her information about her podcast and her programs. She's also going to talk about it at the end. And I will also link all of her information in the show notes. But the reason I have titled this episode what it is, if you're like, okay, why are we talking about being an ex-good girl with our finances? This is a topic that we're going to talk about a lot today in this episode. We're going to talk about where our people-pleasing tendencies come from, specifically as women, why as women, we struggle so much more with people-pleasing than our male counterparts, generally speaking, how we have all kind of been raised and conditioned to be you know, good girls that follow the rules and that do things correctly and you know, draw within the lines. We're going to be talking about all of those things today and specifically how you can kind of break out of that mindset and break out of that construct within your life, but also specifically with your finances. So I really am so thrilled to share this episode with you guys today. I really think that you're going to get a lot out of it. And like I said, y'all, people-pleasing is something that is so expensive. It is costing you more than you probably realize that it's costing you. And I truly believe that if all of us can stop people-pleasing, not just totally in general, because that's something that we're going to talk about as well, is that we all people-please and there's a good type of people-pleasing and a bad type of people-pleasing. But if we can stop the bad type of people-pleasing that is costing us so much, not only from a financial perspective, but also from a mental an emotional and an energy perspective, you will truly be giving yourself a raise in so many areas of your life. Without further ado, let's jump in and talk about how to become an ex-good girl with your finances. I love you guys. I hope you enjoy this one. Sarah, welcome on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. We're so excited to have you. For those who don't know you, do you mind just giving a quick background, letting people know the type of coach that you are, what you help people with, and also how you got into this work? Because I just think it's so fascinating that you are a people-pleasing coach. Well, my uh, work with people-pleasing is 100% autobiographical. I grew up as a star people-pleaser. I grew up in California. I have five kids and a husband and a dog. And so most of my life was taking care of kids and, and running um, the house in a very kind of gender norm conforming um, kind of way. And then I came to coaching because my kids grew up and I was like, now what? I Mm -hmm. don't know what I want to do. And as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, I found coaching And as I became a coach, my people-pleasing just presented itself everywhere as an obstacle. I was trying to get clients, but so worried about pleasing them and making them like me that it was getting in the way of being a good coach. I was working Mm -hmm. for other coaches and other coaching companies and bending over backward and, and, you know, to, to, to please and to over deliver all the time. And I was 
stressed and I was resentful. And when I finally got the chance to take a look at why I was so stressed and resentful, it was people pleasing. And from the moment I found it in myself and was able to work through it, it just became the work that I love doing. Yeah. And I have to say, I feel like I, I've said this many times on the podcast, but I feel like I myself am a recovering people pleaser. (laughs) Like I'm the oldest of three daughters. I'm like oldest child. You know what I mean? And I, I don't know. I've just always felt this need to like always do things for other people and always just kind of be the one that's like there and never letting people down. And it's always about other people first and me second. And so people pleasing is something that I feel like I honestly still struggle with, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. Like, where do you think it all comes from? And specifically too, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this because I feel like people pleasing is so much more of an issue with women than it is for men. I'm not saying that men don't people please, But I feel like when you think of like, oh, people pleasing, you always think of women. And I'm curious why you think that is and where it all comes from. Patriarchy. You and I are, we're socialized as women. And what that means is we came of age, which really means we understood who we are and what is expected of us, the rules of the different groups that we belong to the roles that people want us to fulfill under this umbrella of a patriarchal order, which just means that it is built to privilege and give power to men in a way that they can hold on to it. Mm. And that doesn't mean that men are bad. It just means that you and I were trained in a very specific way to be agreeable, to be compliant, to be nice, to be the people who serve other people's needs, put ourselves second, to be always on the lookout for what other people want and need from us. We were taught that putting our wants and needs ahead of others is selfish and wrong and bad. And we were taught that our highest and best use is in service of other people, whether it's children or husband or communities or work. Like there is more free labor performed by women than any other group because it's what we're trained for. Now, all of that, I I just want to add one more thing. All of that sounds like nefarious and evil, But a lot of this training happens in very loving families, in very Mm. loving groups. It's just the umbrella that or the the foundation of patriarchy that we have all been living with for generations and generations and generations. We just forget that it's there or we don't know that it's there. Yeah. And that's so interesting because to be honest with you, it all seems very normal to me. People pleasing was something that I never really gave any thought to until quite honestly, I was in my late twenties, right. That I even started, you know, becoming a coach and learning about this work and even understanding like what people pleasing is. I'd always heard the term people pleaser, but until I really gave some thought to it and realizing, oh, this is something that I definitely do. And I love how you say like, it can, it can come from very like loving environments because I think of my own upbringing and my own childhood. It's not like, you know, I was raised in an environment that was very like conditional. Like I never really felt like, oh, I had to behave or perform for love. It was nothing like that. Like I grew up in a very loving household and yet it was just kind of like, I still felt like I came into adulthood and it was always just about other people, them first, me second, that sort of thing. So I love that you make that point because I think that's so key. 
And actually what I want to do is, is back up because one thing that I teach very clearly is that people pleasing everyone people pleases because mm-hmm. we are taught from very young that, and, and, and actually, if you want to back up even before that, when a baby comes into the world, it is completely dependent on the big people around it to take care of itself. But even as babies, we recognize what we do that gets rewarded. Like if we cry, someone feeds us. If we cry, someone changes our diaper. And mm-hmm. that really early conditioning of like a behavior for a reward, that's how the world mm-hmm. works. That's how our needs get met. And so now you have a four-year-old who knows that it should behave in certain ways to get rewards. It learns that certain behaviors are punished. And so getting our needs met is how people pleasing is taught. The problem isn't that we people please. It's very good to know what behaviors will be rewarded because we want rewards. Mm -hmm. We want to be fed. We want to be clothed. We want to be taken care of. We want connection and friendship and love and belonging in our communities. So the problem isn't actually the people pleasing. It's that we are never taught how to stop when we Mm. want to disconnect from some of those rewards. Is there a good type of people pleasing? Yeah, I think there is. It's called responsiveness. So for example, if you and I are in a relationship together, we're friends, I like you, you like me, we're We want to be responsive to each other's needs and wants. If you call me and you're crying and you've had a bad day, I want to be responsive to that. Maybe I bring you some flowers or I offer to come and help you with something, or I just listen to you like that type. You, you could call that a people pleasing behavior, right? Yeah. When it's done in response to a relationship that is reciprocal, where we are both valued and we are both taken care of, that's a beautiful component that really enriches relationships. My definition of people-pleasing is when you are overly connected to the validation, outside validation, you are so overly connected to people's opinions and things outside of you that you've lost the connection to your own, your own Mm -hmm. validation your own affirmation, your own sense of your value and worth, and you're getting it outside of you. So what that actually means is that on the outside, you can't tell if a behavior is people pleasing or not. If I, going back to the example I just gave you, if you're having a bad day, if I'm overly connected to like, does Paige like me? Does she think I'm a good friend? Oh my gosh, what should I do? Then I show up with flowers and I'm anxious and I'm nervous and I'm trying to make sure that you really like what I've done. And is this enough? Is this okay? Is she mad at me? Did I do something? Or I could show up with flowers and just feel lovingly responsive to the bad day you're having. And you can't tell from the outside. Yes. Okay. So that is so helpful. First of all, just to know that there is kind of like a good type of people pleasing and that it's not necessarily a bad thing because I feel like for me, anytime I hear people pleasing, it's this term that like, oh, I don't want to be that. That's not a good thing to be. It's not a good thing to be a people pleaser, but I love how you say like, there's a good type and a not so good type. And I think it really comes down to like where you're getting everything, validation, love, connection. It's like, is that coming from someone else or ultimately is it all coming from within you? Yeah. It's, it has everything to do with the internal experience you are having. 
That's so helpful. That makes so much more sense to me now because, you know, with money, I feel like there is so much, we, we don't really think about it this way, but there's so much people pleasing that happens with money. And I'll just like give one very specific example that I hear from women in my audience all the time, which is spending money on other people. Mostly, I would say that there's like a couple main culprits of this, like mostly like spending money on their kids or on their grandkids. I hear that all the time. Like women will come to me and they'll say, I never want to spend money on myself. And I am always spending all of my money on my kids or I love buying things for my grandkids. There was a woman, um, I think on my TikTok a couple of weeks ago, and she said, what's your advice for me? Because I'm always buying things for my grandkids and they don't need things. They don't need anything. I just, I love like buying things for them and like seeing their reaction to it. Because in a sense, I'm like, but what are we actually trying to buy, right? It's kind of like, is that about you and like what you're getting out of it internally? Or is it something that you're seeking externally by spending money on other people? You are talking about what I think is one of the fundamental reasons why we don't understand what we do, whether it's spending money spending time, whether it's eating things we don't want to be eating. Like we all have these, these things We're like, why am I doing this? I don't want to be doing this, but yet I don't understand why I do. And I can't stop. Mm -hmm. Go back to childhood. There is a disconnection process that happens very early and it's almost across the board for girls and boys, but girls get an extra special dose of something that I'll name in just a second. So if you're little, I'll just talk from some of my own experiences. Like I was told, finish your food. And so if I say, but I'm full, just finish, just finish what's on your plate. You're not Mm -hmm. scared. That's not scary. This isn't something you should be scared about. Don't be scared. That's your Mm -hmm. uncle. I want you to go over there and give him a hug and a kiss. Doesn't matter how I feel inside. So as a child, we have so much dependence on the big people in our lives, our caregivers, and we love them and they love us. And so it is very easy to disconnect us from ourselves, from our bodies. And so girls get this extra objectification dose where we are told to look pretty, to sit a certain way, to hold our shoulders a certain way, to bat our eyes a certain way, right? So we become disconnected from ourselves and connected to what everybody else wants. And so it is very hard to know, why am I doing this? As a 40-year-old woman in Sephora who's buying copious amounts of lipstick, that's Mm. me, right? (laughs) When I don't really understand, like, what, what am I trying to buy here? Because I've lost the connection with myself. And now I think these things will fill it up. Yes. Really a matter of how do we establish that reconnection? And then from yeah. that connected place, now you have access to other information. Oh, I'm buying this for my grandkids because I'm sad. I don't get to see them a lot. Mm, yeah. Or I'm buying this for my child because I'm really afraid of the depression that they're feeling right now. And I don't know what else to do. And I'm desperate for a solution that I don't have. And so I'm just going to buy them something to temporarily feel better. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And I, I asked, you know, the women in my 
audience and coaching program that all the time. I'm like, whenever you're spending money, whenever you're buying something, it's really important to always reflect on like, what am I actually trying to buy? And what I always try to remind people is like, listen, when you buy a product, what you're buying is a benefit, but you can never buy yourself a feeling, right? So like to your point, going to Sephora, right? It's like, okay, you're buying yourself a face mask for the benefit of prettier, healthier, clear looking skin. But ultimately what you're not going to be able to buy yourself is like the self-confidence that you're so desperate for that you think you will feel once your skin's clear, which then you connect to the face mask. So it's kind of like this chain of events, but it's just really honing in on like, Hey, what am I actually trying to get at here? And to your point, bringing it back to like that internal external, I think is so key. Without it, we have lost the plot. We have lost the connection to what really matters to us. And then there's an army of people outside of us who are like, you need this lipstick. You'll look fantastic. In yes. Your life yes. Will change when you own this lipstick. And so yes. we are disconnected from ourselves and overly connected to external validation and the army mm. of people who want to sell us things are right there. And we're so vulnerable because we don't yes. have that center of self-validation and compassion and connection to really ground us. And I think this is so interesting because this goes back to the whole, I did a couple, this topic a couple episodes ago, but talking about influencer culture and why we're all so easily influenced. And it's like, it just takes one person on the internet telling you like, oh, this is it. This is going to change your life. You need this. You have to have it. And so many of us are just like, boom, sold. You know what I mean? We don't even question it. We don't even ask, like slow down to ask the question is this truly me? Would I like this product? Would it fit into my life? Would it have a place and purpose? Or to your point, is this just FOMO or I'm so overly dependent on the validation of other people. And I will say, and you know, I listened to the first episode of your podcast, which was amazing. And you were talking about being, you know, a good girl and you were kind of going through like a good girl does this, a good girl does this. And like one thing that you said that really stuck out to me was a good girl is someone who like follows all the rules and she does it right. But also she's always looking on the outside for information. She's always looking to someone else to find the answers and to get that validation, which in the money space, I also feel is just so huge as well. I talk about a concept I call the decision jury, which just means whenever you're going to make a decision, who's the jury that is going to weigh in with opinions that matter to you. If I buy this dress, what is my mom going to think? Ooh, if I mm. wear this dress to the party, what will my best friend be thinking? Oh my gosh, he's going to think that, right? We, we tend yeah. to make decisions, especially about spending money with this decision jury in mind of like, who is going to think what of me when I walk in wearing this or when I drive up in this or when I take, right? And that is that over-connection that I'm talking about. Because what we should be asking is what do... I think of this. What do I think of me in this dress? What do I feel like when I put this on? Is this who I want to be? Do I like this for me? And if that is a yes, who else matters? Yeah, exactly. And I love that. I know this has happened to me too. And I hear women talking about this all the time, but I think that's how we get ourselves into situations where one day you kind of snap to it and you start looking around and you're like, my house doesn't feel like me. My closet doesn't feel like me. 
people that I hang out with, the people I surround myself doesn't feel like me. And I think it's because anytime we go out and we're buying and shopping and acquiring to your point, it's like other people and what they're going to think and what's trendy and what the influencers are telling us, like that's what matters most rather than what's true to us. And I think that's how you closet stuffed full of clothes. And you're like, none of this feels like me. And you're just like, I have all these clothes, but I feel like I have nothing to wear that I truly like and truly love. And I feel like that's honestly how we get ourselves into situations like that, where we're just like, this just isn't me at all. Yeah. Well, how can you know who you are when you were disconnected from yourself at three and four and five Mm -hmm. and taught to keep the rules that your groups give you to fulfill the roles that you are handed? We spend decades being the people that other people think we should be. And then we wonder why we don't know who we are. To me, it makes so much sense because that happens. Ignore your body, ignore your, you know, your cravings, your sensations, your impulses, ignore all that. That's bad. Do what I tell you to do instead. And that happens in school, at home, in religious organizations, in community organizations, in cultural organizations. It happens everywhere. So don't trust yourself, trust me instead. And then we do all the rules keeping that we think we should. Like for me, that meant getting married, having a lot of kids, staying home, taking care of them, dedicating my life and time mostly to them and to my church organization and then to supporting my husband. And then I'm 45 and kids are gone. And I'm like, what? I mean, it's the same closet, but with your life, right? You're like, I (laughs) just don't have where in my life I mean, I love my children. I feel loving connection. But what I found was like, where is me in my life? Where is the part of it that just represents who I am? And of course, I can't have that unless I reconnect to my desires. And women's desires are so shamed. And it's a process of learning to unshame and lovingly reconnect to all of the desires and wants and impulses that we were taught to disconnect from. Yeah. I was going to say, do you have like a system or a process that you teach your clients to kind of like start this whole reconnection process or to kind of like get out of the people pleasing? Like if someone's like, okay, you know, the bad type of people pleasing, right? Like I want to kind of take like a first step. This is definitely something I struggle with. I want to reconnect and figure out true page, right? Like who she really is, what she really wants and truly desires. Do you have like a process that you help your clients do for that? Yes. This is the work that I do with clients one-on-one and in a group setting, but I teach the same steps. Number one, you have to understand where your people pleasing comes from and what it is costing you. So we talked a little bit about where it comes from. Everybody's taught to people, please to exchange Mm -hmm. behavior for a reward. But number two, what we don't often understand is the cost. And for women, it is time, energy, and headspace. We spend so much time worrying about that thing that my neighbor said two weeks ago. And what did she really mean by that? And what is she thinking of me? Worrying about obligations that I've said yes to that I really don't want to do, but I didn't know how to say no. Replaying conversations that I had where I'm trying to figure out what are they thinking about me? worrying about future events that I'm going, it's so much time. When I ask the women that I work with to give me just, you know, an estimate, it's like three to four hours a day of just 
replaying and ruminating on what other people think of me, why I'm, where I'm not doing enough, how I should be better, who should I be doing more for? And their bodies are doing other things. Like they're driving carpool and going to work and, you know, bodies are, are engaged in activity, but women are exhausted because our head is constantly ruminating and spinning and judging and criticizing and beating ourselves up for the time we didn't act the way we were supposed to act and feeling embarrassment retroactively for things that already happened that we can't let go of. So that's the cost is time. If it's, if it's three hours a day, that's a thousand hours a year. And what's, when you say cost, of course, like my brain goes to actual costs, like money cost, right. And, you know, it's like, I think the time and energy cost is so huge. I mean, of course that's massive, but also too, it's like, even just thinking about the financial cost that people pleasing costs you. Like I have clients who are like, I'm spending $2,500 to go on this bachelorette party for this girl who I was like, kind of friends with in college, but like not really anymore. And I'm like, well, then why are you going? And it's like, well, I don't know, because everyone else in the group is going and I feel like, you know, I I have to go. Yeah. And it's like, if I don't go, it's, you know, they're going to be talking about me the entire time while I'm not there. There's so many examples of that. I feel with our money, whether it's paying for something to participate in something that we don't want to, whether it's the bachelorette trip or the happy hour with your coworkers that you actually can't stand to be around. But then to your point, I think with the spending, I haven't really thought about it in that way, but just the spending that we do to just constantly keep up with the norms, what everyone's kind of telling you to do. I mean, people pleasing is truly so expensive. It's so expensive. I'm like, listen, if you could just learn to stop people pleasing in the bad way, you would automatically give yourself a raise. I mean, what would your guess be? Like how much money are your clients spending every month? to appease and please? I would say at a minimum, probably at least a couple hundred dollars, minimum, minimum. But I would say on average, just between those examples that I just gave, impulse buys, things that we're purchasing just because it feels like everyone else has them, I would say it goes into the thousands of dollars, thousands of dollars. So it's like, to your point, there's the time cost, the energy cost, but also the financial cost is so huge, so huge. The opportunity cost. What would you be doing with all of that time and money if you weren't spending it? People pleasing. That is where people really get their arms around not only the problem that this is, but the possibility for their lives when they stop. What would you do with a thousand extra hours a year and let's say 2,000 extra dollars a year? It's amazing. Yeah, it's huge. And I think this is like kind of the thing with money too, is a question I love to actually ask my clients, which it's so funny because a lot of them actually have a really hard time answering this question, which is always interesting to me, but I love asking my clients the question, what do you truly love to spend money on? Not love in the sense of you think that you should, or it's what everyone else does, but, and it's, you know, it's not like the quick false pleasure impulse buy high, but like you truly love, it feels good in the moment. And even weeks and months down the road, you're like, that was a fantastic use of my money. And I loved spending money on that. And the thing is, is that a lot of women, when I ask them that question, they just like stare at me. They're like, no one's ever asked me that before. Like, I honestly, I can't give you an answer. I don't know what I love to spend money on. And 
that part's kind of so sad to me because with money being such a male dominant, it's like such a masculine thing that we think of. We're like, oh, it's money and it's numbers and it's black and white. And it's, it's just this masculine resource. And so as women, I feel like we're constantly looking to other people to say, what are the rules? Am I doing it right? The amount of women that come to me and they're like, just looking for validation. Am I doing this right? Can you tell me if this is where, and I'm like, will you tell me, like, is it working for you? Right? Like, does it feel right for you? Is it working for you? But then also thinking about spending, what do I love to spend money on? How do I love to use my money as a tool to like make my life better and beautiful and fill it up with value? And a lot of us like can't answer that question, which I just think is so sad. Because we're disconnected from ourselves. Yeah. Overly connected connected. I mean, all of my coaching I do through the lens of feminism and and patriarchy, which just means that I'm constantly on the lookout for how what we have been taught is playing out in our lives today. So for example, I'm 49. I will turn 50 this year. I am inundated with Botox ads, lip filler ads. Like I don't necessarily think those things are good or bad. They just exist, but they exist because there is this beauty standard that even though my body is aging, which is a natural biological process, I'm expected to make it look like it's not. Mm -hmm. And so there, there are endless opportunities for us as women to remain disconnected and just connect to outside beauty standards, outside, you know, standards of wealth and this beautifully Instagram perfect life. And how do I get that? And how do I maintain it? So when you are distract, disconnected from yourself, there is no shortage of things to connect to. And we just do that over and over and over and over again. And that is one of the costs of being in this negative people-pleasing cycle. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of derailed you there. So I want to bring us back to the whole process, even just that first point of like bringing awareness to what is the people pleasing in my life costing me on, on many different fronts, right? Across my time, my energy, my, and my financial resources, I think is so huge. So that's step one. So after you've done that, what's next? Next, you need to choose a narrow focus in your life because when for, for many women, when they see their people pleasing, they see it everywhere with their boss, with their children, with the dog groomer, with, I mean, I know women who clean their homes before their house cleaner comes because they don't want the house cleaner, right. To, to think that they're messy. <laughs> I do that. Right? And my husband hates it. He, he literally is like Paige, stop, stop. This is what we're paying her for. And I'm like, I'm so, she can't see how messy we are. I'm sorry. Exactly. I totally do that. Yeah. And we have some guilt and shame around it. So hopefully understanding where it comes from helps the guilt and shame. It's like, look, everybody does this, but let's focus on one area. So step number two is focusing on one either relationship or area and learning some tools to apply. Just let's take the the house cleaner. Like if you didn't clean before she came, you would Mm -hmm. likely be feeling some discomfort, some embarrassment. Yeah. You would be worrying about what she's going to think of you. You would be going yeah. through the house mentally and, oh my gosh, I left that mess. And, oh, she's going to see the, that and the, that, right. It would be learning to tolerate the discomfort of not people pleasing because mm-hmm. people pleasing is very uncomfortable. We're spending money and time and effort and over connection to everybody else's opinions, wants, and needs, but not people pleasing is also highly uncomfortable. 
Yes. So yes. in okay. one area of your life, learning to narrow it down and to just practice tolerating discomfort when you don't do what other people want, when you disappoint other people, when you say no to the things they want you to say yes to, that is the skill. That's the core skill is I am so connected to myself that I can tolerate the discomfort of letting other people down. This is so interesting to me because this thought just occurred to me when you were saying, I think people pleasing is one of those things. And we do the same thing with spending money where I think being a people pleaser becomes such a huge part of our identity and our self-concept that we think when we're saying I'm a people pleaser, we're saying I have blonde hair and blue eyes and I'm five foot five. It feels like we're just saying, this is just how I am. This is how I was born and how I'm always going to be. And we do the same thing with spending money. Like my clients will say all the time, like, oh, I'm a spender. I just came out of the womb. You know what I mean? Like being a spender. And I always tell them like, no, no, no. Like spending is a skill. It's not who you are. It's something you do. And it's something that you can practice and get better at. Hearing you say that, I'm like, oh, it's the same thing with people pleasing. It's not something you are. It's something you do. Which to me, that's so huge because when I make that realization, I'm like, oh, if it's just something that I do, then I can practice not doing it and I can practice getting better at it. And it doesn't have to be this badge and like this identity that I have of like, oh, I'm a people pleaser. That helps me be like, okay, just because this is something that I've done for a long time and it feels comfortable and it feels practiced, I don't always have to do this. And I think that second point also made me kind of realize, okay, The first step, it's like you're kind of figuring out what is it costing me. The second step, you're also going to figure out what it's going to cost you to stop because it's also going to be very uncomfortable. But I think the question really comes down to like, which is costing me more? Is it going to cost me more to continue people pleasing or is it going to cost me more to stop? And I think for most people, the answer would be it's going to cost me a lot more if I continue to do this rather than paying the price to stop, which to your point is discomfort. Yeah. And what is so powerful is you can actually ask yourself the question, which price do I want to pay? Mm -hmm. Do I want to say yes to being on this volunteer committee for the school, whatever? Is that what I want to give my time to? If it is, Mm -hmm. then great, do it. If It is not connected to my wants, connected to who I want to be in the world, what I value, then it's a no, but I'm still going to have to tolerate the discomfort of saying, no, I don't want to do that. That doesn't work for me. Now you actually have agency because what people pleasers report or people who engage in people pleasing is I just feel like it's happening to me. Like all these people are just coming at me and I don't have any control over it. Well, that's where your control is to decide which of these do I want to tolerate the discomfort of people pleasing or the discomfort of not people pleasing. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you're saying pick one area of your life. Don't try to just stop people pleasing in all areas altogether. Right. So just pick like one specific area. Yes. The work that you do in one area will benefit all areas. Like if you can learn to say no to your mother when she's making a request that is not connected with what you want and desire, and you want to learn to tolerate the discomfort of disappointing your mother, which for most of us, especially oldest girls, especially women, that's so huge, right? To disappoint a parent. If you can disappoint a parent, then all of a sudden disappointing your boss, it's way easier. 
or disappointing your child is way easier. So that's why we pick one area because I know two things. Number one, it'll keep clients out of overwhelm. And number two, it's going to benefit everything else anyway. Yeah. So it's kind of like rising tide lifts all ships situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. You pick one area of your life and then what's, what's after that? What's step three? Is there a step three? There is. So I teach you skills, how to say no, how to want, how to ask for something, how to say yes to something, how to say no to something, to tell, how to tell the truth. People pleasers are the biggest liars because yeah. Can't tell the truth. I can't tell my mom I don't want to. So I tell her, I'm so sorry, I have other plans instead. Right. So I teach you some skills. And then the next step is to just try those skills to evaluate how they go with so much love and grace and compassion for yourself. Maybe I'm going to try out the skill of saying no. I'm going to practice a couple ways to say no. My boss asks me, asks me to take on unpaid labor at work. I try something out. I notice how I feel. And then afterward, I evaluate it. What worked really well? Well, what worked really well is I remembered the phrase. I'm sorry, I don't have time for that in my calendar. Fantastic. What should I do differently? You know what? I knew that he was going to ask me. So maybe in the future, I'll preempt it and I'll say, just so you know, my calendar is full for the next two weeks and I will not be taking on any extra work. But when you're evaluating it from a place of self-criticism, it's painful. And so we drop the self-criticism and we evaluate it from a place of gracious self-connection. Try it again. And then the fifth step is to just do it again and again and again. Try different skills, evaluate how it goes, be loving and kind and gentle to yourself until you find the sweet spot. Because many of my clients, <laughs> me included, we go into what I call the Goldilocks zone. Let's imagine like a spectrum and over here on mm -hmm. the left, extreme people pleasing and over here on the right is extreme non-self people pleasing. We go, we swing back and forth. And mm. we find that sometimes we still people please and it still feels uncomfortable. And we still don't like it. And other times, we feel like the definition of like the female bitch, right? Who doesn't say yes to anyone who's mean and angry. We feel like that. Who am I? What do I want? And so you have to have so much love and compassion for yourself as you're in that Goldilocks zone, too soft, too hard, not enough, too much, because you're relearning something, a skill you've never had. I think that that's perfect. It's like, okay, we're going to have a lot of love, self-compassion for ourselves, one of the things that ultimately like we know we can't control and, you know, I talk about the model all the time, right? And it's like, we know that other people and anything that they do say their reactions, it always goes in the circumstance line of the model, which means that we have no control over it. But what would you say to someone who's really struggling with the people pleasing of like, okay, I'm going to approach this with a lot of like love and compassion, but then what if the mother-in-law gets super mad, the boss gets super upset, the girls on the bachelorette party are all talking about me behind my back. So it's like, I can control me, but I can't control how the other people are going to react to me no longer people pleasing them. That's immediately where my, where my brain went. I'm like, oh, the other people, I'm like people pleasing, thinking about people pleasing. If that shows you how big of a people pleaser I am. Paige, that's so normal because when you stop people pleasing, the people who have benefited from it aren't going to like it. 
part of tolerating that discomfort. This is my favorite sentence for this situation. That Mm -hmm. sense. So if someone comes, if my boss, if I have been very willing to perform unpaid labor, he thinks, well, Sarah's my girl for unpaid labor, or she thinks. And so when they come to me and they say, hey, we want you to be a part of this X committee to do this. And I say, no, well, I've just disrupted this Mm -hmm. expectation that they have. And so of course my boss thinks I'm going to jump on this committee. I've done it before. It makes a lot of sense that he or she or they would think that. And I can actually have some compassion. Like, yeah, I know I've been the person who has done that forever. It makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense that you would think I still am, but for me, it's a no. So that makes sense. Allows them to have the experience that they're having. Like, yeah, it totally makes sense that my mother-in-law would be mad that I didn't do this thing that I always do. Yeah. And it can still be a no for me. That to me is the most powerful place to be because I don't have to be mad at anybody. Nobody has to be the bad guy. I can just say it makes sense. I really understand that. And I'm still going to do what I want to do. I heard this from Brooke Castillo, who I know has like been a coach of both of ours, but one thought that she gave me one time when I heard her talking about people pleasing that I always like have to remind myself is it's okay for you to be wrong about me. And to me, like when I think about that, that just like gives me so much peace. It's like, it's okay for the girls on the bachelorette party to be wrong about me. And I would say like the fear of judgment is the biggest thing for me. It's the fear of people judging me and being wrong about me and misinterpreting my intentions or misinterpreting my actions. That is the most uncomfortable thing for me of the girls on the bachelorette party being like, well, she doesn't care. She just doesn't want to be here. Da, da, da. And it's like, no, actually I just, I can't afford it. Or I'm working on other financial goals right now that it's just not a priority. Like I love you guys and I want to be there. It's just, this isn't the priority. And it's like taking that and then someone like twisting it and turning it to something else and judging that and misinterpreting that. That's the part that's most scary for me. And so this thought of like, people get to be wrong about me. And honestly, it's like, they probably will be wrong about you. Not in every case, but probably in a lot of cases, they will misinterpret. They will be wrong. They will make their own judgments and assumptions that aren't entirely accurate. But then it's kind of followed up with, and that's okay. People get to be wrong about me. It's so interesting that we do spend so much time worrying about that when people are wrong about us all the time and we don't even know it. And people are thinking things all the time about us and it's happening anyway. You can't control it completely. What really helps me, so one of the the most important decisions that I made as an adult was to leave the religious organization I was raised in, the LDS church. And Mm -hmm. my parents are some of the most wonderful people that exist on the planet. And when I left, they thought it was a terrible decision, right? And they are filled Mm -hmm. with worry for a lot of different reasons. And they had a lot of stress about that. And it occurred to me, like, you know how I could avoid all that stress and worry on their part? I could just continue to go to church. I could Mm -hmm. just do the thing that they want me to keep doing. Yeah. But I didn't want to. And so you can go to the bachelor party and try bachelorette party and try to control everybody's thinking about you. But do you want to? 
I can buy the things that my mother-in-law is expecting me to buy for her and that might satisfy her. But when you are overly connected to outside opinion, it's never ending. There's always yeah. another at party, another gift to buy, another thing to say yes or no to. It's never ending. But when you bring all of that validating internally, you only have to do it once and mm-hmm. then you repeat the same process. And so when I sat with my parents and told them what I was doing, I was able to say to them, I really understand your worry and your concern. And I wish I had your trust. I wish you trusted me. I understand why you don't, but it doesn't matter because I have my trust. Yeah. I have my self trust and yours would be fantastic to have, but I have mine. And Mm -hmm. I was to do that because over and over again, I had doubled down on what do I think? What do I want? And once you do that, that becomes the template for your life rather than how can I keep all these outside people happy? Because it's possible to do, we just spend a whole lot of time and money trying to do it over and over and over and over and over again. And I'll say this, like, just to kind of wrap us up here, but I think something that just occurred to me is like, we do so much people pleasing in an attempt to control and manipulate how other people are going to think about us, thinking that we have that power and we really don't. I didn't realize this before I found coaching and knew the model. I actually thought, oh, my people pleasing is in fact going to guarantee that someone will see me in a certain light or think of me a certain way. Because I actually thought that the words that I said, the actions that I took held the power to control that in someone else. I clearly see knowing this work now that it doesn't, but I think it's just even taking it one step further and realizing, look, I'm so scared of not people pleasing because of what people are going to think of me if I don't do the thing that I think I'm supposed to be doing. But also, even if I do people please and I do do the thing that I think I'm supposed to be doing, it's also not a guarantee that this person is going to see me, think about me, perceive me in the way that I want them to. Because even if I go do the thing, it still might not work. They still might think, you know, of me in a certain way or see me in a certain way. And me going out and participating in certain things or spending my money a certain way is not a guarantee that it'll happen. And I say this all the time. I'm like, you can't buy someone's love, respect, admiration, affection. We try to, we try to use money in that way. But ultimately I'm like every, every dollar you spend trying to like win the approval of another person by their love, by their respect, it's a dollar wasted because it just, it won't work. That was huge for me. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'm trying to control it, scared of what they're going to think of me if I don't. But also, even if I do, it's probably not even going to work anyways. So yeah. And the only thing that is guaranteed is that you miss out on the beautiful connection to yourself, to your own to the way the one you to the way that you want to spend your time, energy, effort, brain space, money that's consistent with the life you want to be living. That's the guaranteed thing that you're going to miss out mm. on. That's so huge. And let's just go with the guaranteed thing. Let's just go with the sure bet. That makes the most sense. Here's the thing. What women are always concerned about is like, but if I stop people pleasing, I'll be selfish. I'll be mean. I won't be nice anymore. And you know, when you think about accusations, you know, for a lot of women, the worst is to be told you're a bitch or you're mean. Mm-hmm. The reality is when you are deeply self-connected, you have so much more to give. 
and you give in a way that is wholehearted. There's no resentment or or less resentment. You are conscious of your own limitations and boundaries. When you give a gift, it is a gift. You don't wish later that you hadn't done it. It is so less tied to negative emotions because it's really connected to what you really want to be doing. And so mm. the beauty of that self-connection actually doesn't make you a bitchy, selfish woman. It makes you someone who deeply knows herself and her limitations and can give in a wholehearted way with that connection and knowledge. And that's, it's just such an incredible way to live. It's so much more pure that way. When you're saying this, like the word that popped out to me, it's like, it's just pure. You know, it's like giving a gift to someone, giving money to someone or doing something for someone and like no strings attached. You know what I mean? No strings attached, no obligation. I always hear these people talking about like, my parents want to give me this gift, but it's coming with this like list of like, well, I'll give you this money, but here's all the, you know, obligations and expectations that we're going to expect of you if we, and I'm just like, that's not a gift. That's a, a contract basically. You know what I mean? But so when you're saying that, I'm just thinking like pure, like it's just pure. It's just, yeah. this is who I am. This is what I want to be doing regardless of how you react to it. I'm doing this because this is something I want to do create such trust because, you know, with my friends and family now, they know that if I say yes, I mean, yes, and I will be there and I will show up. And if I say no, it might be a disappointment, but it actually means no, we're not going to negotiate it. or We're not going to, if I show up and give you my time, it's like you said, pure, it's clean. I'm really here. And if I don't, it's for really good reasons. And so mm. And have so much more trust with yourself and with the relationships that you're in, because how many times have we lied and we suspect other people are lying about either their willingness or ability, you know, to show up and do things. And it just cuts all of that out and allows, I love that word pure. So good. Well, this has been so fantastic. Honestly, the time has flown by. I'm like, whoa. We're at an hour. This is going so fast. But before we sign off really quick, please tell everyone where they can find you in case they want to work with you, hire you as their people pleasing coach. I am on Instagram and Facebook at Sarah Fisk coach and Sarah Fisk coaching. And then Sarah dot coach is my website. And I would love to talk with anyone. And just so you guys know, it's Sarah, no H S A R A. Yeah. The so. right way to spell Sarah. <laughs> Yes. There you go. There you go. With an H in your audience, who Sarah with an H just cringed, but yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. All right. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate you being on. Thanks Paige. It was so fun. Hey girl, if you enjoyed this episode, I want to invite you to join me in overcoming overspending. It's my signature program where I take you through my three phase approach to stop impulse shopping and overspending so that you can finally start making substantial progress with your finances. Through the self-paced online program, student community group, and live weekly coaching with me, you will receive all the encouragement you need to finally achieve lasting change with your money habits that have been sabotaging you for so long. You'll have money back in your pocket. You will leave behind the stress and the worry that you currently experience with money, and your spending will be controlled purposeful and actually feel good and be fun. The best part is it's hundred percent risk-free. You have a lifetime to implement my proven process. And after doing that, if you don't make your investment back, I will give you a full refund. Your results are guaranteed or the program is on me. 
Just head over to overcomingoverspending.com to get started. I can't wait to have you as a student within the program.